1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. I'm Lou Dobbs, and it's great to have you with us today. I'm once again coming to you from an undisclosed location today. It seems best to be a little cautious, so we've withdrawn a bit to a defensible position in the wilds of what we'll just call a northeastern state. Is this really a matter of personal safety? Not really, I suppose, but given that of late, I've been upsetting many of the D.C. swamp creatures and denizens of Silicon Valley and Wall Street. You know, those coastal oligarchs, they're not to be trusted. And not a few of the powerful federal agencies as well. I do acknowledge that I've been a little more vocal about what I call McCarthyism running rampant in the Republican Party. McCarthyism is our name on this show for the Republican propensity to almost always put rhinos in charge of the Republican Party, to put them in leadership, whether on Capitol Hill or the White House or the Republican National Committee. And frustration always sets in within the grassroots and rank and file of the party because there is a tremendous gap, a yawning void between those rhino leaders and Republican voters. Oh, yes, there's some concern because I also was the first to call for Kevin McCarthy to step down, to resign after listening to leaked audio tapes of his phone conversation, a phone conversation between the minority leader and Liz Cheney, in which he clearly was comfortable telling Cheney that the president of the United States had taken some responsibility for January 6th and McCarthy would tell Mr. Trump to resign. Cheney seemed doubtful, but also seemed to think that was just a boffo idea. Reportedly, and not surprisingly, President Trump said he's good with McCarthy. No hard feelings at all. Mr. Trump can be a generous man. So can I, but not when it comes to swamp rats. I'm not nearly as generous as the president. To me, deceit and treachery are automatic disqualifiers for any leadership role in the Republican Party, or for any job, for that matter, that calls for honesty, integrity, and principled conduct. So, yes, here we are today, coming to you from an undisclosed location, added security, waiting for tippers to cool. Appropriate, I think, since McCarthy immediately retaliated against me after my call for his resignation as minority leader. Mr. McCarthy immediately did the unimaginable. He quickly unfollowed me on Twitter, not good. And if a man will do that, there's almost no limit is there. So back to politics and the inept, impaired president who somehow has taken up residence in our white house. What are we to do about a commander in chief who confuses major policies is likely compromised by both the Chinese and Russia, gets lost in the White House, often speaks incoherently, and occasionally has to be guided by a large Easter bunny, and nonetheless has a military officer always standing nearby with a nuclear briefcase, a briefcase that contains the daily codes with which to launch ICBM missiles with nuclear warheads at targets of this doddering confused old man's choosing all around the world but still despite the mortal danger this puppet president represents to us and to the world the corporate media says nothing and the marxist left does nothing and the pretense goes on just like the secret service which claims it has no record of visitors to biden's delaware homes The New York Post reports that Biden has spent a fourth of his presidency at those homes in Delaware, but the Secret Service says they didn't record any of Biden's visitors. Judicial Watch's Tom Fitton says the Secret Service is playing a shell game with the American public to keep those records secret. One of the Republicans running this year to change the direction of government and the permanent bureaucracy is Dr. Mehmet Oz. You know him, of course, from television over many years. He's now running for the U.S. Senate from the great state of Pennsylvania. That Republican primary is coming up next month, May 17th. President Trump has endorsed Dr. Oz, and in the latest polling by the Trafalgar Group, Dr. Oz is leading the large field of opponents in the GOP primary. Dr. Oz, great to have you with us uh, back on the Great America Show, and I want to congratulate you first and foremost on your new position, uh, strong position, in the latest uh, latest polls, the Trafalgar Group, uh, showing you with a significant lead. Congratulations.
0: Well, you're very kind, Lou. We've been speaking speaking for many years, and as you know, when you have a bold, loud voice, as you have had, uh, it helps the electorate make a decision, uh, people are just, trying to decide if you're the person to defend what they know is wrong in America. And I've been able to do that on my show for many years, taking on big government, big tech, big agrochemical companies, big uh, pharma companies. And it's unfortunately one of the skill sets you must have to be in the United States Senate. And we don't want to have a backbencher senator. We need people with bold voices to strive forth into the culture wars because they're using knives on the Democratic side. And Republicans walk into these culture wars with index cards. And we want to stop doing that and get our points across.
1: Absolutely. And I want to say to the audience, I've known Dr. Oz for quite a while. uh, And in the earliest days of the pandemic, he was still a strong and independent voice, uh, skeptical of uh, uh, just about every aspect of what was going on, and uh, a scientific skepticism, uh, and uh, a man of uh, considerable reason and judgment. So I have to say that about you, if I may, Dr. Raz. I I always uh, respected you and uh, uh, was grateful for your voice uh, on my show. I want to turn, if I may, to the issue of something very similar, and that is Uh, Schools uh, right now, uh, (laughs) uh, Ms. Uh, Weingartner, is uh, of the Federated uh, Teachers, is uh, saying that teachers should have the privilege of uh, zero, zero cases of uh, the virus uh, before that they're in session, before they lift any uh, mandates on masks.
0: Your reaction? This is a typical example of a false narrative. There is a pretend belief that if you have lockdowns, if you put masks on everybody forever, that you'll actually meaningfully change the number of cases. And one of the reasons President Trump endorsed me uh, in the Senate campaign in Pennsylvania is because he wanted someone who would be smart and tough. He used both those words. He wrote that announcement himself. The issue around smart is critical. If we fight on their battlefield, then what Randy Weingarten is basically saying is, how many lives will you sacrifice before you start putting masks on? Well, that's a, a horrible question to even contemplate. The truth from a scientist's perspective is you're not saving lives by these actions. So when you pretend that you are, you're virtue signaling. That's why we see some of the massive shifts that are occurring across America, because le- legislative leaders were never following the science. They were following the political science. And when voters start saying, enough, we don't think this works. We're disbelieving you. We think you're, you're misleading us then they start to make decisions. Here in Philadelphia, where I am right now, Lou, this is crazy. On Monday, they passed a mass mandate. Now, the reason wasn't the reasons they've given in the past, like we don't have enough rooms in the hospitals, we want to prevent hospitalizations. That was, they knew that wasn't the case. Hospitalizations are down 90% since earlier this year. What they said was, we changed the goalposts, we moved them back a little bit. We're going to just use total numbers of cases as our excuse. And then that didn't change enough. So they finally last night rescinded this mask mandate. But the real reason they did it was enough businesses said, are you out of your minds? No one is coming into Philadelphia. They'd rather stay in the surrounding communities where they're not having any of these crazy rules that don't make us any safer anyway. And who wants to cross the street to get slapped? And so those are the real drivers of these decisions. They were virtue signaling. What Randy Weingarten is saying is, I'm pretending that I'm fighting for you, the the impoverished teacher that no one pays attention to. I love teachers and I care about them. And I know they know they can't teach kids effectively when everyone's wearing masks or if they're doing it remotely. And so she's not helping the process. And as a doctor, I'll speak to the fact that we don't have convincing data that wearing masks makes much of a difference for the kids or even for their teachers, quite the opposite. Surprising maybe to the Democrats, it doesn't seem to work. So the truth is, let people live their lives because we know there's a damage done by imposing these mandates and you're not providing us health safety.
1: And there are lots of consequences of wearing masks that we don't understand. A number of reports on developmental issues for children, uh, a number of reports on actual IQ testing uh, that has been done because the kids have been at home. They are not as active. They're not as engaged, socialized, all sorts of reasons. We also have a CDC report uh, coming out about a mystery uh, hepatitis outbreak among a lot of kids in the United States and UK who have a mysterious liver disease. And the speculation is it's because of weakened immune systems from the lockdown. And no one wants to talk about these these consequences. Your reaction to this uh, early report?
0: I don't know much about the hepatitis issue, but I do know that we have caused significant developmental delays in children. This has been documented well enough that it's raised a lot of concerns. We don't know if it's reversible. I know this is a scary concept, but without question, when you put a mask on a child and the teacher, the kid doesn't see the mouth move. They have trouble articulating themselves. 5% of kids wear glasses. The glasses fog up like they do with adults. They don't have any recourse because they have to wear their mask all day long. But here's the bigger issue, Lou. You put a mask, that's not a high-quality one on a child, you're probably not making much of a difference anyway. Plus, if the kid doesn't wear it correctly all day long, which they don't, plus it gets wet, therefore it doesn't work for more than a couple hours, and you add that to to the reality that when kids do, who are healthy, get COVID, they don't seem to have much of an issue, especially with these newer variants, well, then I'm left believing that there's not much benefit, and any risk at that point becomes too much to tolerate. That's why many parents, most parents, are not vaccinating their small children. They don't think their children are at risk. Many already had COVID, have native immunity, uh, and many others are healthy and therefore not going to have significant consequences. Uh,
1: Exactly. And I I want to talk to you about a number of uh, issues, but it seems to me that there are two or three uh, basic foundational issues that are rising up in this campaign nationwide uh, in this midterm election. Uh, And- we're talking about on, on one grouping and, and within one issue, it's about parental rights. It extends to our schools, it extends to vaccines, uh, to children's sex education, parental rights. Where do you stand on the issue of vaccinating uh, young children? How important is it? Uh, I want to ask you about a host of issues there.
0: Well, let's go through parental rights because I think it is the hottest topic next to energy in my yep. state of Pennsylvania. And they are related issues in a way because they're both uh, spitting false narratives offered by the left against common sense solutions offered by conservatives. Parents love their kids more than anybody else. I think everyone, Democrat, Republican, everyone agrees with that. Therefore, ignoring the parents' desires in this process is dangerous. We saw that in Virginia. It's going to be apparent here in Pennsylvania when I win the general election in November. The, the parents desire to make sure that kids hear the right things at the right time uh, and are protected as much as possible are often ignored. In the case of vaccinations, it's done by mandating vaccines, and that's happening more in you know, college kids and uh, kids a bit older. But most parents don't think the vaccines make sense for their small children. My daughter, Daphne, who you probably know she's hosting my show right now since I'm, I had to stop off my program to campaign, <laughs> we, have, we have four grandkids She's not going to vaccinate a two, four, six, and 8-year-old. Not going to vaccinate them. First of all, I'm very highly confident they've already had COVID. But secondly, she doesn't think the unknown in the future, as small as it might be, or significant as it might be, is worth it when there's not a significant upside. And then just transition, if I can, to this issue of, of what we teach the kids and when. In New Jersey, there's a new law that every first and second grader must be exposed to, uh, uh, to complex gender ideas. Uh, these teachings are, I believe, not appropriate for children of that age, especially if the parents aren't involved. Do we teach our, you know, our five-year-olds calculus, Lou? We don't, right? Because um, they're not ready for it. Right. So why would I push that on children? And, and again, one of the reasons President Trump endorsed me is because he knows I can bring science to these discussions. So let me give you one fact. 85% of young children who think they're transgender, 85% will go back to thinking that they're biologic sex by the time they're adolescents if you just leave them alone and love them. So again, the child has to feel adored no matter what's going on. But don't get into their head and make them think that just because they walked in their mother's shoes one day, they're transgender. Let them find their way. Their brains are evolving and developing and they will naturally find the right path if we leave them alone to do that and not get in their way. And this is the kind of debate that Republicans should be bringing forward. When Jen Psaki, the, the White House spokesperson, says that Republicans are trying to hurt children by not educating them about transgender issues, that's a dishonest statement. There is no evidence that you change what children do based on embracing who they think they are or not. Yet that's the false narrative, again, making Republicans argue on on a, uh, you know, on a terrain that is, that is inhospitable, but also ir- wrong. It's not true.
1: Uh, absolutely and i couldn't agree more i think most parents would sit, would say to, how could any group teachers administrators in schools think that they're going to that they have the right to make such a decision absent the parents uh, influence and knowledge uh, and, and and we have again the federated teachers saying that what Florida is doing is a—it's uh, akin to starting a war, because they demand that teach that uh, parents be involved. Uh, they're not some sort of vocal minority, as a number of people have said. Teachers uh, should respect those parents, uh, and the idea that they would even discuss sex of any kind. Uh, with kindergartners through third is appalling. And to do so without parent involvement and approval is disgusting. Parents have to take back, and I'd like to know if you'll go this far, parents have to take back control of their
0: local schools. They have to be engaged. They're getting engaged. And if they can't involve themselves in an effective way with the school system, they pull out of the school system. Lou, 10%, one in 10 children is homeschooled now. What a damning indictment of the public school system when one in 10 taxpaying parents pull their kids out of the school to homeschool them. And they're doing it because they don't trust the school system. There's a significant number of, of, of systems now that are being threatened by charter schools and other private options because parents aren't finding satisfactory answers in the public school system. This, again, is challenging the entire foundation of public school, which is based on an 1830s agrarian society. It hasn't evolved. It hasn't kept up. And this is not an indictment of teachers. I really do love teachers. I appreciate how hard they work. We don't respect our teachers enough. But this is not about that. This is about lobbyists like teachers unions controlling hook, line and sinker or the, the, the Democratic Party. You know, I'm in, uh, I mean, I grew up just south of Philadelphia and in my in that area. There's a lot of charter schools and the charter schools are used with, by teach by, by parents, not because their graduation rates are so high, although they are. Not just because your buildings are brand new and work well, but that's true. Not just because the teachers who are, by the way, the public school teachers who left to come to this much better environment. That's, it's, that's, all that's true. That's not why the parents leave. The parents come to these charter schools because they're safe, Lou. They know their kids won't get hurt. This is the degree of pathology in the public school system. But the students' parents, some of them are elected representatives in Harrisburg, in our state capital. They will vote against charter schools even though their own kids go there. Because they know they are dependent on public school funding.
1: Yeah, it, it's and it costs almost eighteen thousand dollars a year for the average public school uh, student uh, in this country. It costs the taxpayer uh, eighteen thousand dollars, which is completely insane. Uh, And by the way, the simple matter is we're not getting what we're paying for and teachers bear great responsibility for that, but so do parents. So does the community for not taking control and responsibility for those schools. In my opinion, I want to turn to uh, the issue uh, in Florida, the the law that they passed on parental rights there, the role of a corporation. In this case, we're talking obviously about Disney, which has lost 30% of its value. Uh, on the stock market, uh, it is there is a tremendous national backlash against Disney, uh, and that I have to give Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, great credit for having the courage, first of all, to drive that parental rights legislation, and secondly, to tell Disney to back off and get out of the relationship between the schools and
0: and their parents. Your thoughts? We are witnessing a gathering of powerful forces, the federal government, big media, uh, the the higher educational centers, leaders of this country, and big industry. And together with big tech, they're telling us what to think. When you have big business, big government, big media, and our universities all saying the same thing, that's a totalitarian model, Lou. That means we're stifling thought. It's not just a coincidence that they take these strong positions on issues they shouldn't even be involved in, and I believe that uh, if we as Republicans are unable to say what we see and do it in ways that are compelling for most Americans, then we're failing our country again, the reason President Trump endorsed me was not just because he believed I have conservative values that I share with most conservatives you know pro-life pro second amendment, you know strong border against you know against crime, support the police all these are traditional ways of thinking about the world, because the realities of life are conservative. But we have to actually be brave and bold enough to go out there and say what we are seeing. And what you pointed out with a significant uh, impact on Disney's bottom line, I believe in the future, is an example of companies overstepping what people really think they should be able to speak to. And they don't want to have a small number of disgruntled, Disney employees compelling a massive corporation that's very trusted America to start taking on elected officials who are doing their best to address uh, overreach by teachers unions and others. And these are the kinds of issues that that, that animate Republicans. That's why we're going to have a very, very strong turnout, not just in my primary on May 17th here in Pennsylvania, but across the country in November.
1: I think you're exactly right on that as well. I want to turn to the issue of energy because behind all of this in some fashion or form is the Marxist left White House inhabited by a puppet president by the name of Joe Biden. And the energy policy of this administration is anti-American. It's not just un-American. It's anti-American and will roll us back in terms, in my opinion, of this economy uh, 20, 30 years Your thoughts on fracking, on the policies of this administration?
0: If you go have a a pancake at a diner in Pennsylvania, your waitress will sit next to you as she's pouring your coffee and lecture you on energy policy. That's how frustrated and angry voters are here. And the reason for it is they see all the things you're pointing to, which I'll cover in a second, but they also recognize that right beneath our feet here in Pennsylvania, we have two Saudi Arabias. We have more natural gas than we could ever use, hundreds of years to supply the entire country if we wanted to. But here's the deeper pathology. Despite all the realities of natural gas being able to help our country uh, protect itself and help our allies, it's also better for the environment. The lie is that the Green New Deal is the path forward. It is scientifically impossible to deliver on those promises in the time allotted. I've never heard an energy expert who really understands renewable sources argue anything differently. So what we're really saying is because we are so ideologically stuck as, as far-left Democrats to the idea of a Green New Deal, we're not going to allow any rational thought about what might work in the meantime. And what does work is natural gas, which is brought up in ways that are so clean that if we were to ship it overseas you know, and, and actually help our allies, it will be the equivalent, Lil, this is important, equivalent to – electrifying every vehicle in America, the entire fleet, plus putting a solar panel on every roof, plus doubling wind energy production every year for 30 years. This is a massive opportunity for us to save the environment if you really care about the environment. And in fact, America this is going to shock people, has actually met the Paris Accords. We've dropped our CO2, our carbon emissions. It, that's what we're focused on dramatically because we have been using more of our natural gas. Let's get it out of the ground. Pay people to, with well-meaning, uh, uh, with motivations, with good money to build their communities, make our country energy independent and energy dominant, and then go help our allies overseas. And President Trump has told me it helped him immensely that America was energy independent. It changes how you negotiate with other countries. We have to be a dominant force. The world is looking to us, begging us for leadership. We have to offer it, and we haven't been. My show was in 100 countries. I traveled the world. They would tell me the same story repeatedly. Help us by staying healthy in America. And I said, why does it matter? They would say, because we quibble here in you know Singapore, whatever country I was in. We look to you for leadership. You're the bright city on the, on the hill that, that is a North star for us. We cannot afford to be weak because when we fail, China succeeds and nobody wants a, a authoritarian controlling uh, a, a country, a government like China's, ruling them and that's what we'd be ceding to.
1: And that's exactly their objective. That is dominion over the globe, uh, including of course, with their strategic partner, Russia. I want to ask you this as we conclude on the issue of foreign policy. Uh, would you style yourself as a, a an America first uh, policy uh, conservative? Uh, would you say that your policies, your thought on America's role are America first? Uh, that Trump is the leader of the Republican Party? Do you have any problem
0: saying that out loud? No, I, I believe that we have to be a strong country. It will bring peace to the globe. America first is the right way to think about it, not selfishly, but it is actually, as I was articulating earlier, a a way that the entire planet will feel like they are offered an option, like capitalism built on democracy. That's what they really want. Only if we fail, if we trip, if we fall, does plan B come into effect, which is China. But we should be awake to the reality that China wants us to fall. It's not just a zero-sum game for them. We need to fail so they will thrive. That's why I'm so focused on Taiwan. And the Chinese, as you know, uh, Xi, they don't tell you what to think. They don't convince you. They condition you. They make you think a certain way before they even bring it up so that you're already on board. 70%, 70% of Chinese nationals think they should take Taiwan right now. They already think that. That's not an accident. They've been brainwashed to think that so that if it were to happen, they would be happy that it happened.
1: Do you believe the United States should out loud say directly that we will defend Taiwan against communist China's imperialism?
0: We have to message that loudly enough that no one can mistake that for, you know, a a soft whisper. We have to turn that island nation into a porcupine, arm them well ally with the Japanese and the Australians and others in Asia who are on our team and make sure that the message is very clear, uh, be heard by China, that this will carry significant consequences because that is our best chance of preventing them from taking an action that they will regret and will bring a ton of pain into Asia, similar to what we're witnessing in the Ukraine.
1: Dr. Oz, great talking with you. Thank you for sharing some time with us. Uh, Dr. Oz running for the U.S. Senate in the great state of Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we appreciate your time and we appreciate your candor. Thanks so much for being God bless with us. you, Lou. Take care. Thanks, Dr. Oz. God bless you. As I said, Dr. Oz is the leader in that Pennsylvania primary race for the Senate. For more on his positions on every issue, you can go to droz.com. That's droz.com. Please join us here tomorrow for the country's best investigative reporter, Peter Schweitzer. Peter Schweitzer's revelations on the D.C. swamp are astonishing. As Tom Fitton puts it, D.C. is now a nightmare, and it's always worse than we think. Peter Schweitzer, here tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. Till then, God bless you, and God bless America.